to 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 the left, you have someone like Will Smith, <laughs> right? Yeah. Then to the right, you'd have someone like Andrew Tate, and like yeah. neither one of them are our uswa, neither one of them is our model. So we don't need sacred manhood. Isn't someone who simply brags about material things, how much money he has, drops f bombs everywhere, and will talk about women like they're commodities. Mm-hmm. That's not sacred, or even promote zina. That's not sacred manhood, right? Mm-hmm. Then to the left. Will Smith was a day youth who will like let someone commit zina in his own house with mm-hmm. his son's friend who will just get humiliated and show no backbone and no manhood right these are like he's only he only he's only manly in front of the camera in movies yeah. right these are these are two extremes high value men and alpha males toxic masculinity and the man child Young men today find themselves stuck in between raging arguments as to what it really means to be a man. Coupled with a growing epidemic of fatherless and broken homes, young men have never been more in need of understanding their masculinity. But what does Islam offer to this conversation? And how does one actualize sacred Islamic manhood? To help us answer these questions is Imam Dawood Walid author of Towards Sacred Activism and Fatua, Raising Males into Sacred Manhood. This podcast is now streaming on Apple and Google Podcast and Spotify. High value men and alpha males. Toxic masculinity and the man-child. The crisis of manhood today has seen raging debates on both sides of the equation. What does Islam have to offer to this conversation and how does one acquire sacred Islamic manhood? Well, to answer these questions is our guest today. Joining us is Imam Dawood Walid, author of Fatua, Raising Raising Males into Sacred Manhood and Towards Sacred Activism. Imam Dawood Walid, how is everything on your on your side? Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam wa I'm doing quite well, alhamdulillah. It's a pleasure to be on with you two brothers. Likewise. This is a, an interesting conversation. I think it's, it, it, like, as uh, Kamal was saying, it's raging online. It's uh, kind of like the hot topic. Yes, yes, Imam. It's a, it's a topic that is, I guess, deep to my heart. It's a very, con- especially as a father of two boys, and I'm definitely concerned about how can I acquire the skills necessary to raise them into sacred manhood? I want to ask you a personal question, Imam. What inspired you to write the book Futuwa? What was the inspiration behind the book? Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim alhamdulillah wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. So I say there's three reasons that inspired me to uh, write this book Futuwa and raising males into sacred manhood. Uh, the first of those was of some of my seniors, my teachers, observations, as well as myself, and when we begin to see a different type of Muslim male on the scene, and I'm speaking particularly in the United States of America and Canada, though uh, I know there's a similar phenomenon going on in the UK. I haven't been to Australia yet. Inshallah, maybe Inshallah, one day. We'd love to have you over. But um, the, the issue of young males delaying taking on responsibility, uh, a type of uh, unmotivated disposition of a lot of young males. Uh, 
Mm. Um, young males who are quite content to finish school and uh, not thinking about uh, marriage, but will sit around and play Xbox with their friends all day and uh, not wanting to even uh, aspire you know, towards picking up the mantle for the dawah is very different from my generation and how we were, you know, in the um, in the in the mid and late 90s. Very different. Right. So this is one observation that we made. The other observation is the issue of single mothers coming to some of us here uh, in, in my state, in the state of Michigan, wanting help and assistance in raising their young males. And I think that a lot of our sisters uh, have the intellectual honesty to say that no matter how much they love on their sons, they're not men. So they cannot raise boys to be men independently of male mentorship and some leadership. This is the second. The third is, um, in which I have a, a selfish interest in this, I would, I would say, uh, just admittedly, um, but it relates to other concerns that we as Shiuch uh, and uh, Duat have have heard in North America, that there are a lot of young sisters who are uh, achieving uh, academically, who are achieving professionally, who are involved in seeking out a sacred knowledge, going to study circles, and there's a, a lack of prospects many sisters see for their peers intellectually and spiritually, right? As far as marriage is concerned. So I have a 15 year old daughter and I worry about her prospects, you know, just to be quite frank, uh, just like some of my other friends and a lot of these young sisters who are in university or left university. And they're saying, well, where are the brothers at, you know, that, you know, aren't, uh, you know, running around in the so-called gentleman's club you know, that's what they call them mm -hmm. here in the States. I don't know what they call them in Australia, but the strip clubs, the brothers who, you know, won't take the time to learn, uh, barely subtly, you know, not involved in the Islamic activities, uh, not finishing university, like where are the brothers at for us to marry? So there is, in this, in this situation, there's, there's somewhat of a, of a crisis uh, in marriage, uh, at least here, uh, in, in North America in this regard. So uh, mm. when we see a problem, uh, we can't just complain about it. We have to bring forth uh, solutions. And, you know, I believe that the Islamic tradition has a solution for all of our contemporary problems. It's just mm. how we look at the contemporary times and adjust things, you know, appropriately to our uh, social political environments that we live in. Well, thank you uh, for that, Imam. You touched on a lot of... Uh, different aspects of which inshallah uh, we can delve into but I think before we go into the conversation it's very important to define and uh, to have definitions as to what some of these terms mean so if somebody was to come across your book or not have any understanding of what the word fatua meant um, what would you say to them because from my limited understanding I mean I'm just trying to derive like the origin so I don't know is it fatah, fatiyah, fatwa um, I don't know is it a moral code come out what do you think uh, fatua means well fatua is a, is a very interesting word when you think of it because when we look at the Arabic language, we have rujula, manhood, and then futuwa. I personally want to know what is the difference between the two of them mm. as well. So it is a very interesting topic. So yeah, there is a connection between rujula and, and futuwa, no doubt about it. And as you mentioned, some of the linguistics, you have the word uh, uh, fatah, which is a singular, 
uh, for a uh, for a young male. Um, then you have the fifth yen, which is a conglomeration or group of the young uh, males. And uh, this term, which relates to Fatua, is is relating to or puts us in the mind of a male moving out of the stage of being a young child and transitioning into a greater stage of physical maturity. And with that should also be emotional and spiritual maturity and responsibility. Or what we would say, coming out of the age of pre-mukallif and to the age of being mukallif or being responsible according to the, the sacred law. Uh, so this is for the singular and the individual. Uh, then we have the issue in terms of the term fatawa, uh, uh, plural for fatwa, that is relating to one who can make an actual uh, educated opinion with discernment that has some level of, of, of qualification and gone through some sort of training, right? Uh, this is also related linguistically to fatua. Many times it's just translated as, and it's, it's kind of a... Uh, it's a term that's hard to pin down, but many people will translate it as sacred chivalry, mm. uh, Islamic chivalry, that is basically a code of conduct of certain virtues mm -hmm. that get inculcated in a young male that is to be embodied uh, within the, uh, the construct that one grows up to be what we would call a rajul haqiqi, to be a real man, real right? Man, yeah. And... And there's a difference between, as we say, between a, a dhakr and a rajal, like a male and a man. So uh, all men are males, despite what postmodernism would say, right? Mm -hmm. all, all men are males, but all males aren't men. Mm -hmm. And so from a literal perspective, as far as age not being mukallaf according to the sharia, mm -hmm. but even more so from a metaphysical perspective, that a person can have a have a lihya, have a beard, have a deep voice, uh, pump weights, um, you know, uh, dress to the T, wear the designer oud, <laughs> you right, and still not be a real man. Mm -hmm. Although they outwardly mm -hmm. uh, look like a rajul, but they're not really uh, a real man. And this is because the lack of the inculcation of these noble traits of character or makarmu akhlaq that is in uh what we would call el futua well that's very powerful that yeah, that that's uh quite deep I, I would think you've touched upon something there ma'am something sacred is there a link between manhood is it is it what is it is it kind of a nature versus nurture kind of argument is it a man-made construct or is it something that's a bit more divinely appointed as that you were suggesting. I mean, you were addressing it, but I just thought I'll pose the question. Is it a man-made? Is it divinely appointed? Or is it a nature versus nurture kind of argument? Well, gender and masculinity are divine constructs. Mm -hmm. They're not man-made constructs. Culture in different areas and times can influence certain aspects of how manhood or masculinity is displayed. Right. Mm -hmm. So there are certain aspects that can be particular to region, but the in time, but the basic virtues and the social responsibilities that are placed on men from a spiritual perspective are divine mm -hmm. constructs. And we have proof of this in the Quran. Um, we have very simply uh, when the Quran talks about the birth of of Umm Masih, alayhi salam, Maryam. 
Mm-hmm. When she was born, immediately the statement says, and the male is not like the female. Mm-hmm. Okay? And so to Hujarat, so literally Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is talking about he made these binaries, mm-hmm. right? No such thing as non-binary. He made the dhakr, the male, and the untha, the female. female. He made these, he constructed these, right? So this is very clear uh, in the Quran. Then uh, through extrapolation we have in the sharia or the sacred law, there are very clear indications about certain virtues that women have mm-hmm. and certain rights and responsibilities that men don't fully enjoy mm-hmm. and conversely males who become men have certain roles rights and responsibilities and certain aspects that women do not have mm-hmm. so this outward social what we can say um manifestation of these roles are based in spiritual and metaphysical realities as the uh the hadith that's Hassan narrated by Imam Tabarani rahmahullah ta'ala that says inna li kulli shay'in haqiqa right for everything created there is a deeper truth mm-hmm. so we're saying that masculinity and manhood is uh, a physical manifestation of metaphysical realities so mm-hmm. being a man is Small. more than just physicality of xy Mm -hmm. chromosome a woman is xx but there's something Mm -hmm. deeply intrinsic within the fitra Mm -hmm. that makes us different otherwise in allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in his wisdom this is why like women never have to pay mahar to men according to sharia Mm -hmm. men have to work right that seeking employment and working is is a responsibility for every man every muslim man Mm -hmm. right uh, and there's a number of different aspects that we could go through uh, regarding the sacred law and things that uh, from the Quran and from the Ahadith and then also from the Fatawa and the Athar from the righteous Khulafa, uh, the Sahaba and Tabi'een that, that really uh, clears this up. And in my mind, there's no ambiguity. I mean, for some people, it's, it's very confusing to, to them. But to me, uh, I just... You don't have to be a scholar to see that the the Quran and Sunnah talks about manhood as a divine construct. It's not mm. purely a man-made endeavor. It's a lost art, though. I think being chivalrous in today's day and age. I mean, you know, if you look at murder, is no longer uh, can, well, murder is becoming an epidemic, so it's no, no longer the exception. Uh, rape, for example, it's no longer the, it's an epidemic. It's no longer the exception. It's it's when I think the bestial aspect of man has now dominated the world and there's no link between of honing in back into that fitrah i mean despite this you know i think we're reminded that still that but allah still breathed his spirit inside inside of us right so even though we have this bestial aspect we've we've lost the link that uh, we've lost the link to to our fitrah we've lost the the basic principles well I- if I can add on one thing, because you, 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 and Brother Malik, you, you jogged something in my mind. So in Majmul Fatawa by Ibn Taymiyyah, mm-hmm. and there's a similar statement in the tafsir of Sheikh Ahmed Dem, a uh, great Senegali scholar of the 20th century. I died in early, I think, like 1970, uh, There's a similar statement attributed to, to Ali ibn Abi Talib, uh, mm-hmm. that says that uh, the angels were created with aqul, with intellect, bila shahwa, without carnal desires, mm-hmm. right? Or like, or like animalistic 
desires. Then the Baha'im or beasts were created with Shahwa, but without Akul, without Akul. Mm -hmm. Okay? So they have these animalistic instincts and desires, drives, but they have no intellect. Mm -hmm. Then he said, and the insan was created with the Akul and the mm -hmm. Shahwa. The one that uses their Akul to control and govern their Shahwa is at a rank higher than the angels. Mm, but the one who neglects their akal and just act off of their carnal desires or like we could say bestiality type yeah. of like, like, like Hayawan, that they are lower than a beast. And the insan can seek down lower than a beast, lower than a, a, than a khanzir, lower than a kalb, <laughs> right? So um, this is this is the point that you're talking about, and when we talk about this issue of being a real man, mm -hmm. right? Uh, real men in Fatua demands discipline. Mm -hmm. That there's a certain rigor that uh, that the chivalrous man must have. Mm -hmm. There's a certain level of discipline and self-control in which that young man has to be reared up and put into situations that are going to challenge him and they're going to test him in which he has authority over him, mm -hmm. that he has to sweat, that he has to go through some struggle in order that that young male become a man so that that, that man can be focused more on long-term satisfaction rather than short-term pleasure. I think it just goes to show the beauty of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's creation and the wisdom in the way he creates everything in pairs and everything serves its purpose. Mm. The What the mother gives the child, uh, the father cannot. And what the father gives the child, in most instances, and you know, there's no shame in saying it, the mother cannot. I think there's been That's many right. studies that have suggested, I've been doing a bit of reading myself, and I've seen that many su studies actually suggest that boundaries and the enforcement of boundaries comes pr uh, predominantly from the father. The ability to instill delayed gratification into the child comes from the father disciplinary measures comes from the father so the father plays this very powerful role in strengthening that manhood within the child sheikh at the beginning of the podcast you mentioned the word responsibility or sacred responsibility and you mentioned it as a defining hallmark of manhood can we just touch in on what is that responsibility that uh, i guess manhood necessitates well, of the responsibility that manhood uh, necessitates is first, one, knowing their responsibility and the greatest haq, which is the right that's owed to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, mm -hmm. that he is worshipped uh, properly. And of the first step of worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala proper, properly, as the ayah says, he said, not create jinn nor men, it's to worship me alone, mm -hmm. is that knowing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? Knowing his beautiful names and his attributes and what is impossible to be to be ascribed to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? This comes first and then fulfilling those other rights that come beneath that uh, as far as uh, knowing what pleases Allah and what displeases Allah and then seeking to follow mm -hmm. that and to implement what pleases Allah and staying far away from what displeases him, right? And then within this, as some of the scholars have said, like Sheikh Al-Tustari Al-Hanbali, 
he said that Fatua in its fullness is following the Sunnah of the Prophet. So he is the model for all humankind, male and female, but in his Kamal, he was a man. And there are certain attributes and aspects of the Prophet that women cannot display because they're not men, right? And that's just that's just the reality. Uh, and it doesn't mean that Allah loves men more than he loves women, right? It doesn't mean that at all. Um, then within this uh, responsibility is having and knowing the proper adab to have with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's creation, mm. right? It's also the responsibility. And I define adab, some people say it's comportment, others say it's etiquettes or manners. But yeah. I I learned uh, beyond one word, definition of adab, it is to give everyone and everything their proper due at their proper place and time. To give everyone and everything their proper due at their proper place and time. So this mm -hmm. means this, this has to be shown, it has to be embodied, this particular adab. It's not just something that, that comes about through uh, picking up a book mm -hmm. alone. It's something that's embodied and then something that's seen. And then this is the spiritual transmission of this, uh, of this adab that also takes place, right? So m much of this that we're talking about uh, if we as as Muslims could uh, work to perfect our adab and to have proper knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, then everything else can then, with Allah's permission, fall in line. But if we lack any one of these things that's mentioned within our male folks, then there's going to be something that's extreme, either to the right or the left. So mm -hmm. uh, sacred manhood is in the middle. And we say mm -hmm. this is the wasat, right? Mm -hmm. So the wasat is the heart of the matters in the middle. And this is the best of affairs, right? Allah <laughs> made us to be the middle grounded community in the middle. Right? That the hadith says, and the best of matters are in the middle. Anything too far to the right or too far to the left is not what we would say is true manhood or sacred masculinity so mm -hmm. we have on the left side the the far extreme is the day youth it's like the weak punk <laughs> yeah, yeah right or the one doesn't want to take any responsibility mm. then on the far right we have the one who's like a brute who would act like fir'aun right who doesn't know to have any proper comportment with uh with women uh he doesn't know the right time of being firm and when to be soft with women folk, mm -hmm. right? Uh, the one that's overly domineering, that's, that's acting like a, like a Fir'aun with his wife, who maybe is more like Asiya, right? Mm -hmm. Right, so we, there's, 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 there's two extremes, right? Um, and God, if I could make a contemporary, if I could make it a, a contemporary equivalency forgive me for doing this at the no. invoke some pop that's culture fine. no that's fine to, to, to the left you have someone like will smith <laughs> mm. right yeah. then to the right you'd have someone like andrew tate and like yeah, neither yeah. one of them are our uswa neither one of them is our model so we don't mm. need 
Sacred manhood isn't someone who simply brags about material things, how much money he has, drops F-bombs everywhere, mm. and will talk about women like they're commodities. Mm -hmm. That's not sacred. Or even promote Zina. That's not mm -hmm. sacred manhood, right? Mm -hmm. Then to the left, Will Smith, who's a day youth, who will like let someone commit Zina in his own house with mm. his son's friend. Mm. Right? Uh who 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 will who will just get humiliated and show no backbone and no manhood. Right? Mm. These are like he's only he on, he's only manly in front of the camera in movies. Yeah. Right? These are these are two extremes. Where does the Muslim find the middle ground, I guess? We do find ourselves between two extremes, but especially when it comes to the topic of uh, a man's treatment to a woman, whether that be his spouse, whether that be his mother, his sister, or even uh, an ajnabiya, someone who he's not related to. The treatment of a man to a woman is something which is of, I guess, heightened debate in today's time. So what defines the wasat for a Muslim male in his treatment of women? So the wasat, of course, again, the uswatun hasna is Prophet Muhammad So it is a time that in your with your women folk in your family and in your household you take charge but you also know how to be soft and you prefer women folk over yourselves this is part of chivalry and i say this all the time that a man should be given a man should be willing to give his life for his wife a man mm. should be willing to give his life for his wife this is rasulullah sallallahu number one right um so he knows how to do this at the same, so he is soft and he's gentle. Like when Fatima Anha would come into the house, he'd stand up for his daughter. He would kiss her and then mm. sit her down. He'd be very gentle with Mu'minin Aisha Anha. Be very. He would he would take consultation from Mu'minin Um Salama Anha. So right, so he he wasn't a dictator with his wives. He took mashura from his wives. Mm. He was gentle for his wives. He'd get gifts from his wives. At the same time. He would say, Mahlin ya Aisha, in Right? He say, Calm down, Aisha. You gotta chill out. Right? Like the incident when she uh cursed out the Jews mm. in Medina, when they said, Death be upon you, O father of El Qasim. And then she said back to them, and death be upon you and God's curse and his wrath. And he had to like calm her down. Like, that's not fitting for you to mm. be saying that, and especially out in public. So he had like to correct his correct his wife and this was mm -hmm. a public correction by the way um you know so there's a time to to take the lead and to be and to be firm there's mm -hmm. a time to be soft there is a time to say look we got a sacrifice there's a time to give gifts right so it's knowing the time and place and having that that balance and that and that's really that this is what we say about lawasatia like this mm -hmm. is the, the moderation or the middle ground, the middle path of Al-Habib Al-Mustafa Muhammad Salawatullahi Wasallamu Alaihi Wa That's beautiful. I think the, on that note, I think just to go back a little bit, man, we were talking about responsibility, but the opposite of that would be obviously no responsibility. And I think as though as a bitter and hard pill it is to swallow, I think we are witnessing the infantilization of men. We're seeing overgrown men. Um, perhaps you could see that in the example that, that you said of perhaps Will Smith, who I think um, I'm not going to lie, I've actually met Will Smith, so we have a bit of a personal connection, you know, we're good friends, I'm, I'm joking, but um, I think we, we do live in a society where we have overgrown men, and I think that's 
partly because we live in a world of entertainment. I don't think men have, um, they can't find the footing in the sense that they don't have a social or cultural setting to flourish in their like adolescence. Uh, because I think they're just told to pursue like gadgets, money, uh, entertainment. And it's kind of like this faux sense of masculinity. I mean, what is masculinity nowadays? I think people would say, oh, it's what you dress and what you think you are. But what do you think gives rise to the prevalence of overgrown men or overgrown babies? The man-child. <laughs> the man-child. The crisis yeah. of the man-child. To put it frankly, the man-child, yes. Overgrown males, they're mm. not even men. So there's different socio-political factors. So I'm not sure about Australia, but in the States, and this has been written about, we have, uh, there's a book by Dr. Leonard Sex that wrote about this in America and Canada called Boys, Ad Boys Adrift. There's also oh, another study from a book called Coddling of the American Mind that talks about this issue of delayed adolescence. Mm -hmm. One is that if young males go to school from first grade to 12th grade and they never have male teachers or men teachers, like 95% of their teachers nothing but women, they, they don't have that mentorship in schools where they're spending seven hours a day, mm -hmm. right? They're, 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 they're taking information and seeing the behaviors of nothing but women folk as, as superiors, mm -hmm. right? And of course, we believe that there is such a thing called hierarchy. There is no uh, lack of hierarchy. And what they're seeing there is nothing but tutelage and mentorship from women folk. So there's, a, mm -hmm. there's an imbalance that starts there, right? Then from this uh, imbalance, we also have the lack of engaged fathers, either through rising mm -hmm. rates of divorce mm -hmm. or the father is so working so hard chasing after the dunya because he's working two jobs to take care of his family, plus send money back home to the Bilad, whatever country they want to call that, right? Mm -hmm. That he's not spending any time with his own sons. Mm. Right. This is another problem. Then we have the social political <clears throat> aspects of what's being taught in schools mm -hmm. and also in pop culture. So things that were considered to be traditional masculinity, like being firm in the face of adversaries, being stoic in times mm. of conflict, that's been labeled as toxic masculinity. Mm -hmm. Right. To the extent that now we have a movie out in America now, I refuse to watch called The Woman King. How can a woman be a king? Oh, Angela. That, yeah, I've seen this. Yeah. So, so, so the characters are all like even even the more recent Star Wars where the guy is like effeminate and passive. And then the one who is like the leader and takes charge, which is totally unrealistic as far as beating up all these men and like saving the day is is a woman. Right. And this is what's being shown and promoting pop culture, but that even the certain... She-Hulk. Yeah, she -Hulk. yeah. But She-Hulk, praiseworthy yeah. traits that men have. I don't mean something like, you know, like a woman beater or, uh, or a so-called pimp. Of course, it's outside of real manhood. But just certain things have been labeled as toxic masculinity. I have had young men in college come to me and they're worried about what to say or even how to act out of fear of being labeled or canceled. So... Mm -hmm. We don't have to make these things mutually exclusive. Okay. There can be certain things in society that has some general truth to it. But when applied to specific circumstances across the board, that's mm -hmm. them. Like it literally causes wrongdoing and mm -hmm. it creates a certain language environment. So, yeah, mm -hmm. I think the likes of 
you know, what happened with Harvey Weinstein or R. Kelly, like that's fine. There are also innocent men who got caught up in, in, in that situation, that thing, and have been uh, mislabeled to the extent now that uh, it has chilled or made many young men uh, be actually timid or scared to actually um, behave or act in certain ways that, or even within the guidelines of the Sharia. And I think that men like Andrew Tate or before him, the late Kevin Samuels, that mm. spoke to some of these things and some of these apprehensions of men, I think this is why uh, many young men have been drawn to these types of individuals and characters in the so-called manosphere because it's kind of like a response when you have one extreme. Normally, when the pendulum swings, it doesn't stop in the middle. It goes to another side. And I, I think that much of what we call the red pill movement in the manosphere is a blowback to some of these things that, have been an educational system in the West. This that's, is my analysis, and I could be wrong. I, I, I actually see exactly where you're coming from, and I've always said it. When a young man has always been raised hearing about how toxic his masculinity is, being reprimanded for certain traits of his masculinity, he's going to yearn for that hyper-masculine uh, saviour. Yeah. And then we have all these figures that are coming out, giving them validation, lifting up their spirits, and treating them like they're kings. When that man or when any man comes up to you and says to you, young king, <laughs> you, have my, you have my ears, you have my eyes, you have my heart. Young king, young king. He's not saying your masculinity is toxic. He's lifting up your spirits. You're going to be drawn towards him. And this is the conditions that gave rise to an exponential success of some of these figures. But I feel like what's more important is for Muslims to realize this. There is a void right now. And if we don't step up, someone else is going to take the cake and run with it. Mm. So what do you say to young men right now that are looking for role models or that are aspiring to become role models for young men? What would you say in light of all of this? So we're talking about role models. So we have to be mm. truthful. Some of us who are a little older, who have sons or about the age where we could be uh, parents and we're in the position of being young mentors. And there's a saying that you can't give away what you yourself don't have. Don't have yeah. So we have to be honest that a lot of us need remedial work. And that a lot of us, maybe when we were growing up, we missed certain things. And we need to be willing and, uh, and, and really have tawadur or have the humility to say, you know what? I need to go through my own boot camp. I need to go to some retreats. I need to freshen up on what this is of really being a Muslim man and being responsible and to actively put myself in suhbah with certain, mm. with other men who are seeking to uh, achieve this. On uh, uh, in-person and even virtual connections, right? Mm. Uh, th I think this is, this is one thing. Um, then also this mentorship, and I allude to this in the book regarding the issue of, of, of Fatua guilds, because this is something that actually started in the time of the Abbasian. Uh, this was after uh, El-Quds was captured by the Crusaders. See, our pious predecessors always understood that when we are overcome by something, it wasn't by the strength of the opposition. It was because of our own internal weakness. Mm. Right. So we have to organize ourselves and those of us who are in mentorship positions to be able to call 
these young males to a different vision and to have something that's organized. So in my area, city of Detroit, for about the last three years, we actually started something through a group called the Ansar Collective I wrote about in the book, where we started off with number, firstly with the weekly halakha, we expanded it uh, to uh, archery mm -hmm. uh, uh, classes on Saturday. Then we brought in uh, two brothers that we have in the community who are martial arts experts in jujitsu. Then we had that uh, two days a week. Uh, we then also established um, regular uh, khidmah or community service that could be done from passing out food boxes to shoveling snow for elders in the wintertime. We have a couple of camps. We take them on in a year. Um, we uh, take them fishing. We have uh, 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 deer hunting, because in my state, deer hunting is the, the bow and arrow or archery deer hunting season comes in before the guns. You know, So there's a certain type of discipline that we start putting these young men under. And I'm going to tell you, in the last three years, we've seen a phenomenal change mm. with some of these young brothers in their adab, and in their attitude, they've learned more about the sunnah. Uh, they've uh, some of them have improved their eating habits and their health. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, inshallah, these young men who now are in uh, high school and in university, inshallah, they'll another four or five years they'll make proper chivalrous husbands for some of our daughters. Mm. I think it's, but it's not easy. It's yeah, not easy. Like right, like yeah, like yeah. for instance. Those of us who are involved in this endeavor and this effort, you know, it's 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 time consuming and it's it's feasible. We haven't gotten to the point like where we've started a Fatua Center and raised a lot of money. This is just brothers who are um, concerned, who who are concerned, mm -hmm. who are uh, sacrificing their time. It's uh, there's uh, two um, uh, imams or sheikhain. And myself, so there's three of us, you know, who who do the teaching, and then there's some other mentorship uh, that goes on, and um, people are, you know, putting together their 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 dollars, and you know, uh, getting some of the young people to get some money and to pay for some of these endeavors. But it's not like we have a budget, but mm -hmm. you know, I think we have to get out of this mindset that we have to have this big budget before we can start doing some things on the ground. Like we have to have the big fundraiser, we have to have this much money in the bank before we can do something. Uh, inshallah, funding and support will come. But, you know, when we put forth effort and we have himma, then we know we 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 know Tawfiq comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Mm. I think mm -hmm. security net it's security net is really important. I mean for to draw back on personal experience, I've worked with some disadvantaged youth um, at Youth of the Streets. Um, but it was like a local community organization. I was working there for about two or three years. Um, and I think what's really important is that sometimes people feel like, you know, their family has failed them. And therefore they turn on to their friends. But but that may not always be the best approach because they may be, you know, into probably some of the wrong activities and not like the ones that you mentioned. But I also believe, as you mentioned uh, prior, uh, was the lack of a figure, and you've talked about figures, and I mean, I didn't want to go. I didn't want to go there. You talked about, and the one he he should not be mentioned, Mister Andrew Tate. And for me personally, I don't think that you could take somebody that's, you know, who doesn't kind of display the characters, the characteristics as to what he talks about. I mean, we don't really follow a person who talks to women in a demeaning manner. But I think as Kamal was also talking to us prior this, to this conversation, is that 
lack of a father figure. And I think that's really important. Yeah, definitely. I think it starts with the father. But what you've done there with your Futua groups, that's also mm. very important to have these boy groups where they can actually learn to become a man. That's it's crucial in terms mm. of forming that framework or that, that safety network that you were speaking but about. But it's, it's very hard because you know, people don't, they don't have a footing. I think one of the, one of the sheikhs was saying men straddle between two abysses. The, the one of emptiness of from what he came by and the one of infin infinitiness of through whom he came by. So you're stuck in you're stuck in between. Yeah. You're really stuck. Yeah. Chef, so some of these some of these mm. young brothers, I'm telling you, we've had brothers that come in mm. and have committed themselves. They were out in the street selling drugs. Mm. Some of them have been gang affiliated. A lot of these brothers, all all they need is someone to show them some some um, concern, mm. give them a hug, and sit down. And share a plate of biryani with them. I'm telling you, <laughs> like it's very, it's very simple because some yeah. of these guys, the street gang, mm -hmm. sometimes fills the void or the gap of what the community should be. Mm -hmm. So if they're not getting that attention at home or from someone, well, the the the, the drug dealer and the gang leader in the neighborhood, mm -hmm. there's there's a type of solidarity, so called, or a group in that where they get with other drug dealers and. Uh, the drug dealer will give them a false sense of protection that mm. they so-called got each other's backs. A lot of these brothers just need really a hug, sit down and share a plate of shawarma or like some pizza <laughs> and just shawarma. talk and, and just and just listen to them. I'm telling you, yeah. this is just a this this is a very simple uh, simple thing. Like it, it's not what we would say is rocket science. It's just mm -hmm. really as a as a hadith. Narrated by uh, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, their hearts naturally inclined to love whoever mm -hmm. does good for them. Mm -hmm. Right? You, you, you show someone some sincere attention, some of these young guys, hug them. We've pulled many of these young brothers off the streets who are uh, smoking marijuana, selling heroin. Muslim guys with tattoos, carrying guns. You know, gun culture is big in America. Mm -hmm. uh, We've pulled brothers off the streets and, you know, mashallah, they're, they're, they're developing to some fine brothers, mashallah. You've, you've, you've actually honed in onto something very, very, I guess, crucial right here, which is the innate need to belong. So each, each individual has this innate intrinsic need, uh, need to belong, to be validated. And once you give them that sense of belonging you will naturally have their, uh, inshallah, you have their intention, you have their love. Even when we look at the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he would give those, the, the young people his full attention. Even a hug, you said he came in for a hug. Uh, there's a hadith of Ibn Abbas, he took my shoulder. So there is that, that love, attention, and these are the means we can use to instill manhood into our future generation of men. Mm. Sheikh, before we wrap up, I want to go through in terms of a few of the qualities of a male that you have outlined in your book. We'll go through very quickly some of the primary features or standout features of <coughs> men in sacred, uh, in, in, in sacred Islamic manhood. I'll, I'll, throw, I'll throw a few words at you and if you can summarize quickly what they mean. Haya. Hayah, modesty, al-hayah, al-hayah min al-iman, as the Prophet says, sallallahu alayhi wa wasallam, right? So modesty is a characteristic of chivalrous men, 
-hmm. right? So it's not just a trait or characteristic of women, you know, and there is, and you mentioned a uh, narration from the Shema'il, right? So mm -hmm. it's said that uh, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam had the haya of like a virgin girl, mm -hmm. right? Like picture that, right? So he wasn't the type of person that been overly loud, and overly boisterous. He wasn't the type of person who was trying to show off in his physical uh, um, stature, right? So mm -hmm. we have to understand that haya as a virtue is in how we carry ourselves physically as well as how we talk and carry ourselves. So, um, and there's a difference, by the way, between something as it relates to dress or even transportation that is shari compliant, but there's a higher standard than that. It's mm -hmm. not just simply, haya isn't simply what I must do, but what I should do. do. Mm -hmm. So for instance, you know, um, if, 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 if a man was to have his entire body covered his shirt, and uh, let's say it's one of these muscle shirts, right? Mm -hmm. Or a tank top, and his, his aura is covered, Mm -hmm. Okay, he's fitting the nest. He's fitting the necessary requirement under the Sharia mm -hmm. to make prayer. Should he walk into a room or a gathering where there's nothing but a bunch of sisters while he's worked out and think he's gonna like flex his muscles or wear extra that extra small shirt? shirt. Yeah. yeah, extra small shirt. <laughs> no, if, no, that's not modesty, mm -hmm. right? That's not modesty, uh, and, and and he's doing that for a reason, mm -hmm. right? So uh, that's just like one example. The and, higher which, level, and actually. And actually, yeah, and actually, you know, red pill says the opposite, mm -hmm. right? Courage. What does that mean to you? What 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 does it mean uh, in terms so, of Islamic manhood. manhood and chivalry? So, uh, uh or courage, as you mentioned, is also a quality mm. of al-fatuwa, which relates to sacred manhood, as it was defined in some of our books. Uh, Abu Hamid al-Ghazali mentions this this trait uh, that the courage is in the wasat. Right, mm -hmm. so being in the middle, an extreme to the right is to be reckless. Mm -hmm. So being reckless or being a fatalist is not courage. Mm -hmm. At the same time, to the far left, cowardice or el jubn, which is a mm -hmm. spiritual disease that the Prophet wasallam sought refuge from cowardice. Mm -hmm. Right, so courage is not a complete absence of fear. Courage is to confront one's anxiety mm -hmm. and to work past it to move that fear away from creation to the creator. Yeah. This is this is courage. And likewise, you mentioned Ali ibn Abi Talib, uh, may Allah ennoble his countenance, that we, we see this uh, also during Hijra, right? So when the Prophet wasallam left, and of course he was informed about the assassination attempt, Ali was what laid down the bed, hmm. knowing that he could get swords, right? But I mean, the courage that takes, and this is also part of altruism too, that he was willing to, he preferred the life of Rasulullah over his own life. Mm -hmm. That's courage, and it's also what we would call ithar. This is part of like honorific altruism as well, That's of right. preferring, preferring one over oneself to be willing to sacrifice your right mm -hmm. that someone else can live mm -hmm. or that they have their rights right and this takes moral courage so a punk can't do this mm -hmm. 
you know. So uh, someone who lacks courage can never be altruistic. Well, mm. 100%. We'll go to the last two, inshallah. I guess a very uh, popular term which has been thrown around a lot, especially in this conversation, ghira. I'm not even going to translate it. I'll let you do that. Ghira, <laughs> uh, or some people call it, uh, or ghira, it's uh, sometimes translated as uh, uh, protective, protective jealousy. jealousy. Mm. Uh, I kind of don't like this translation because jealousy has a negative connotation uh, in, in the English language. But I would say it is more a type of like honorific protectionness or honorific protectiveness. And that is that for what one values and feels needs protection, that one is willing to stand up and have what we would call uh, righteous indignation. So there's a difference between blameworthy rage. So ghadab is in two portions. You have the type of ghadab that is blameworthy. Mm -hmm. Then you have the type of ghadab that we could say is praiseworthy that we would call righteous indignation, right? So this ghayra starts with having ghayra for Islam, ghayra for the Quran. Mm -hmm. Like I just saw this video where some people were burning the Quran. Like we should want to defend the Quran. Like we will say, oh no, freedom of speech. No, no, we <laughs> should be angry and defend Islam. When people insult the Prophet wasallam. We should defend his honor, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we we just don't say, oh, just go ahead and you know we live in a liberal society, so you know you have your right to freedom of speech. I have my right. No, we stand up and defend the honor and dignity of of, of the Quran and, and our beloved, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Right. It's also having ghira over our our women folk, right, and having a protective jealousy uh, of our women folk, especially those of us. Who are married but this goes to our daughters too that uh a man with gira you don't want anyone smiling up in your wife's face you don't want anyone getting too cozy with your wife that's my wife get your own mm -hmm. wife you understand what i'm saying like you're supposed to be able to stand up and like no like it, it, that's not toxic masculinity that's like no stay in your lane and get out of my wife's face uh before you know, as we say in America, before I have to tighten you up, right? <laughs> so, I mean, this is this is this is what men do, and this is, uh, but but gera should not be used as a means of trying to oppress women. For instance, you can't say under gera that you're gonna lock your wife up in the house and throw away the key that she can't go to the masjid, she can't go to halakha, she can't go to visit her family. Um, you know, and use gera as an excuse. Oh, I don't mm -hmm. want to get, I don't want to see you hurt. You let her go or you escort yeah. her to the masjid. You escort her to the halakha. Mm -hmm. You make sure she can go to the university. You take her to her parents' house if you don't want her driving there alone at night, right? But you can't use that as an excuse to try to oppress your wife or to try to make her like a slave. That's mm -hmm. not khira. That's, that's something else. 100%. We'll take a last one. And I would say let's choose the concept of tawadu, humility without humiliation humility without humiliation yeah. so the prophet was of the most humble of people right and he said this that none should say that i'm better than yunus ibn Matai. Mm. now we know he also said he said that i am the sayyid of the children of adam but I don't say this boasting, right? Mm -hmm. So we know he is the imam 
and the Sayyid of all prophets and messengers. He led all of the prophets in, in prayer, right? We know it's from Lil to Isra Miraj, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so so we, he, we know that he is there. We know he's their Sayyid. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so this, this difference between humility and humiliation, so we have these two extremes as well. The extreme to the right is what we call kibr, which then comes out in istikbar or tekebr, mm -hmm. right? This is a type of arrogance, right? And this is an attribute of iblis. Mm -hmm. Then you have to the other extreme of humility is the issue of actual humiliation, where you allow yourself to be trampled upon and to be completely disrespected. So this goes, this is not being humble. And tuadra is is in the middle ground of, of, of this particular uh, situation. There's many stories that we could talk about this, and I mentioned mm. uh, some of them in, in the book, not just from the Prophet, Sallallahu but also from the Sahaba and some mm. from the, 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 the noble Salaf. I think that's, that's, that's a very beautiful point. I think just to quickly add on that, Imam, I think I'm reminded of the quote from one of the great saints of West Africa. I think you appreciate Rab, uh, Rabi al-Adawiyah. And she would say that no woman has committed the sin of Fir'aun. In the sense that to say that you know I'm greater, but if I but am if, the Lord Most I, High, I am the Lord. I am the Lord. Yes, but you know yeah, men true. men do that today, but if it's not through their tongue, it's through their actions. But to 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 put this conversation uh, to close, Imam, do you have any takeaway advice for young men? In like in like maybe two or three brief points. I know you've mentioned <coughs> quite a lot, but briefly, what's your message to the young boys or to the young? To the young kings, as uh, <laughs> young Kamal kings. was saying. <laughs> Sorry, uh, uh, but to the, to, to the youth, what would you say to them in the sense of of, of grounding and, and finding their footing and place within Islamic chivalry, within Islamic manhood? Okay, the first of them is probably more philosophical, but to know and understand that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created you as a noble being mm -hmm. as as someone who was honorable like karamna bani adam right and that the way that you maintain your mobility is striving to follow the fullness of the way of prophet muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam right in his majestic qualities as well as in his beautiful and merciful qualities there's nothing unmanly about being merciful and being compassionate and being loving mm -hmm. this is the first thing this is something philosophical like being a real man is not just simply being hard all the time right mm -hmm. the time to be stern there's time to be stern and there's a time to be soft number one number two we we know in soto kaf that nabiullah musa alayhi salam it is mentioned, and he sought a spiritual guide. We know him as Al-Khadr, And I would say that since mm -hmm. a prophet of God uh, who had a book revealed to him sought uh, a murabbi, Before. then you yeah. surely know that you and I, we're not masum, mm -hmm. we're not prophets, we're not getting a book revealed to us that we need a spiritual mentor. Mm -hmm. And this is someone that if it's not a sheikh that we see that has good manners, at least it should be someone who's an elder that we see to be salih, that has mm -hmm. upright character, that we can sit and learn and get some advice. But this is part of humility because this is how we, we have to be able to defer to someone that we see as senior to us, mm -hmm. right? Uh, 
the, the, the one who takes their own self as, as their own sheikh has taken a fool as their sheikh. Mm -hmm. This is the second thing. The third thing is limit your time on social media and watching these videos on YouTube. Except for one path like, network, inshallah. <laughs> well, you can watch you, you you can watch certain podcasts and certain videos, and I watch certain things at sometimes. But don't overly spend your time in in uh, on social media and the metaverse. Because at the end of the day, you need to establish real life connections, and this noble way of life of ours was not transmitted simply by books. And doing things yourself is transmitted as sudur the sudur from living, breathing hearts of men to hearts of other people, face to face. Like in Hadith Jabril salam and one of Ruwayah, it said that the Prophet wasallam was sitting and Jabril came and sat down to him to the extent that their legs were touching. Mm. Like there's there, there's a spiritual transmission that was going on right. There was a modeling of like how, of how a talib sits with their sheikh because mm -hmm. Jibreel alayhi salam was the teacher of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi salam, even though the maqam of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi salam is higher than the maqam of Jibreel alayhi salam. Subhanallah. Right? So uh, try to limit that time uh, uh, online in, in the metaverse and so-called the virtual world, uh, cut down on it. Um, get off your Xboxes, do some exercise. <laughs> You know, get around some real living brothers. Go out and make uh, make salah and jamaah. You know, mm. uh, get off your phone and, and, and the computer so much. That's my well, third piece of advice. Well, thank you, thank you very much, Imam Dawood. Uh, Imam Dawood, uh, it's been an interesting and sort of riveting conversation. It's I've I've learned quite a lot, and I would re-emphasize the message to the youth. Um, you know, I know it's very hard. And you're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place, but really seek out that morabi, seek out that uh, that perhaps it's your even your parents. And for those who are not fortunate or blessed to have your parents, look for someone in your local community. And I would also say, you know, pick up pick up uh, a book, try and read. I mean, I'm also I'm quite. I mean, I, I I never used to read as much, but you know, I would encourage. Uh, we can start with this book for two. And for two, would be none other than the best place to start. Best for, place to start. But Imam Dawood, thank you so much for the conversation. It's been a pleasure having you. Jazakallah khairan, and thank you very much. Wa alaikum. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.